Thanks for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. Other podcasts are available at brumradio.com. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. I am your guest host, Philip Ellis, and today I am joined by Mr. Guy Halford. You're right. And Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Phil. How are we today? I'm great. I'm well impressed by your introduction. It sounded very, very smooth and sophisticated. Thank you very much. Those are two of the words on my, you know, brand pillars. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by the words Ellis, by Philip Ellis. <laughs> Philip smooth, sophisticated. I'm smooth and sophisticated like Henko back when uh, Anthony Stewart Head was the spokesmodel. Or was it Nescafe? I don't remember. It was a gold blend. It was gold blend, yeah. And, and, and blend. I'm, I'm a gold blend, yeah. Just make me sound so common from last week's show. I just sound like, <laughs> all right, how are you doing? So, I haven't got the voice for radio. You could do BBC One. Announcements. I'm, the one, I'm, the, I'm doing the Channel 5 or the... Late night BB, no, uh, Channel 4 ones, where it's just somebody they've picked up off the street. <laughs> some announcements. All right, coming up next is Holly Arks. <laughs> Why, yeah. So, um, what have you been up to this week? I need to lose weight. I'm fat. I've put on a lot of weight since I moved in with Laura. I don't know what it, I'm, just, I'm eating just eating too much, and I'm not proud of it. Like, I've definitely put on weight. So, to counter... I'm just keeping very, like, diplomatically silent while you say all this. I'm just a fat knacker. Let's just put it out there. I've become a fat knacker. Um, so, to counteract this, I have bought a skipping rope. <gasps> oh, my, oh, my God. Can you please, please bring it into the studio next time we record? <laughs> I need to see this. I will. It's the perfect shape for you to do Instagram videos. It is. It's just, just long yeah. and thin. That'd be really good. So we can see you slowly reduce as time goes on. I mean, let's let's not jump to the punch here. I, I slowly reduce. It's going to take a good few years. So are you, what stage are you at? Are you at the uh, stage where you're like, you know, doing all like the boxing tricks where you're sort of like flipping it around and stuff? Or is it more a case of like you're throwing it around and then like stepping over it? Yeah, it's going to be the answer, <laughs> yeah. Because I never, I never progressed beyond that bit, like in primary school. I mean, I'm going to try, you know, apparently um, 10 minutes of skipping is equivalent to 45 minutes of running. So if I do 15 minutes of half hour skipping then that, that should be the same, I think. Yeah. I don't know if half-assed skipping or half-assed anything counts. It's Because it's cardio, so you have to like be out of breath. You have to be sweating. Your heart has to be pounding in order for it to count. I am, I am a fat man, Phil. That's going to happen. This is, this is going to happen. What I can't understand is you've moved in with a vegan. So what are you eating? Because you said it's Crap. since you moved in. Sugar's not made out of meat, though, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I just yeah, it's just the, a biscuit here, a biscuit there, you know, then, and then twenty down the gullet, you know. Are you kind of making up for the fact that you're having these vegan meals and you're going, that's not satisfying. I don't eat not. vegan meals. Don't you, don't you eat vegan? No. At the time. I can eat. I eat corn chicken, but I don't. No, I, we we eat kind of separate dinners most of the time. You eat corn chicken. That, 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 that's not a thing. You eat corn or a chicken. <laughs> the two. You don't have a corn chicken. Quicken. There's not. It's not a thing that wanders around. Go, I'm, I'm an evolution of a chicken. Uh, I'm a corn chicken. But my, my father's been lying to me, then. Is that like the uh, in Alice in Wonderland? There's the mock turtle. Yeah. 
you know, you know, you know, corn is basically just like fungus. It's it's mushroom protein type stuff. Don't talk about that. You're going to ruin it for me. I don't like mushrooms. It's just yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. But you like, you know, chicken that's not chicken. Yeah. Wait, but if it's corn, surely it's from corn. That was my assumption. It's not like that's in not, not corn the cob. Then why is it called corn? Well, maybe that's Mr. Mr. Corn name. invented it. See, I could never understand why they made like things that tasted like meat. Because you just go, if oh, he's giving up meat, just give up meat. It's like, oh, I don't want to eat animals because they're cute and I think it's cruel. But I want to like, I still want the taste of animals. That's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like I, it. I, I don't like it. I like having. I do. I do have like corn mints and corn pieces. Just to add some body and texture to food, making chilies and stuff, it just gives it a little bit of texture. But I'm not, not I'm not particularly after that meat flavour because all the flavouring I'm putting in with everything else mm. that I'm putting in, so yeah. all the herbs and spices and all the other vegetables and stuff. My favourite vegetarian substitute for anything is Linda McCartney sausages. I can't beat some Lindas. They're so good because they don't. They're not trying to be pork. They're just a, they're sausage shaped, but they are entirely their own thing. There's there's a different texture, there's a different flavour. They're so good. I'm glad you said this. Are you a long term eater of Lynn McCartney sausages? I mean, on and off. Like my mum owned a cafe, and that's what we used to serve to our veggie customers. Because I we used to have them and uh, cook them under the grill generally. And I found there used to be quite a lot of uh, fats and oils had come out of them. And it made a right mess of the grill. And so I went off them and went on to the corn sausages, which aren't quite as nice, but don't leave as much of a mess. And recently I've come back to Linda McCartney sausages and been having them. And they don't do, they don't seem to leak out all of this excess oils and fats. And I don't know if they've changed the recipe. And they taste nicer as well. I mean, I haven't had them in a while, but now you've got me curious. Yeah, I, I haven't yeah, really thought I mean, about it in that really much detail. detail. You know, now I'm hungry, had, thanks. Fake, I had fake hot dogs that I had with them last time, kind of like fried onion and mustard and all the rest of it. Really nice, these Linda McCartney sausages. So I'm back on the Linda McCartney bandwagon uh, for this because I've had some. Cal- I don't know if you've seen cauldron sausages. Mm. You can get those as well. And they're they're okay. I'm not a big fan of those. Corn ones are okay, but but yeah, now Linda McCartney and they don't leave as much mess. So I'm kind of like I can grill these. It's really easy. To be fair, one of the rationales that I use in my head when I'm deciding like what to cook and I'm in you know in the supermarket aisle, it's like how much prep is this going to take and how much cleaning up. Like how many pans do I have to use? Like, I love making a roast, but it's just kind of a faff. Yeah. Because all of the juice that comes out, and then it hardens, and it's just like, then I have to like throw that tray away rather than wash it. And <laughs> So, yeah, that's good to know. What have you been doing, Phil? Um, nothing. I've just been sat um, in, a, in a cold, empty void since we last sat down and recorded together. It's <laughs> the bleakest thing you've ever said. Just trying to move the show along. I know that we're, we're, we're pressed for time. No, I've had a very quiet week. I've just been very busy working. Working it. <laughs> Bloomfield. That's nice. Phil gets Phil. I get by my surname. All right. I'm in, I'm in Sexy. What you been doing all week? <laughs> that still counts for Phil, doesn't it? <laughs> um, no, I... I've kind of uh, been playing a little bit uh, more with uh, my Q chord. I thought it was going somewhere else for that, then. Uh, so, oh, hang on a minute. Has it arrived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I've got it. It's, oh, it's, a, it's a good purchase. It's a good purchase. Okay. So what what have you been doing with it? Uh, mostly just messing about. <laughs> really, I've not had I've not had any musical training okay. in my life. So basically, and so this is why it's such a great thing because you basically just press some buttons and it makes music and it sounds really good. So at the moment, I'm trying to kind of uh, play by ear, flow the Concord songs that have uh, Omnichord songs in, or I've gone, I've joined a Facebook group with people that put stuff on. 
so I'm kind of uh, I'm just thinking now that I could at what point can I take a portable uh, speaker out and busk on the street for money uh, or just form a band and play pub gigs so I'm going to do that can you record some idents with it? Oh no, I'm gonna when when I'm more confident and happy with it, I'm gonna bring it in and do live idents with it. Oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> you, you, you wish you hadn't said that when you when it's actually here making its noise. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of trying to become more proficient. And is your wife annoyed by it? Yeah? I know she loves it as well. It's great. We are still talking about the on record, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you keep it clean, please, guys? Family show. <laughs> Kids might be listening. Um, no, well, she's very musical anyway, so having an, another instrument in the house is always cool. Ryan isn't here. No. I've noticed that. Do we miss him? I mean, I'm kind of drunk on the power of being the guest host, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, show girls him and then, like, just take this show for myself. <laughs> okay. Weird news. He still wants us to do it, so... I mean, I, I, I love me some weird news, so spin that wheel. What are our three headlines this week? Keith, do you want to give us a little ident without Omnicord? With no Omnicord. Uh, it's going to be rubbish, then. Well, it's just going to feel hollow and empty yeah. and pointless now. Uh, what about you? No. Okay. No, I can't. Um, don't click on that link. Don't click on that link. Don't click on that link. Oh, you clicked on that link. It's weird news time. <laughs> right, Ryan sent me... Free. Okay. Thought you'd sent me more. Um, no, it's free here. Okay. First one. Too many coffee shops in town centre, says coffee shop owner, trying to stop a new one from opening. I mean, that's not so much weird news as just like... The high street. Yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah. Next. Uh, prison bans Game of Thrones books because all because inmates might try to do something with all those maps. <laughs> what, like I mean, find their way to Westeros? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued by that one. Uh, loud rock music like ACDC can hurt animals and ecosystems, but Willie, Willie Nelson has no effect research shows. I mean... There's a lot in that. Let's just put a pin in that and go back to prison for a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's wait for it to load. You might be going back to prison. <laughs> I've certainly not done any time. This is from AV News. Uh, what? AV News? Uh... Writer William Hughes, and it was filed to category books. Yeah, it's about books. I have no objection to any of this so far. Prison bans Game of Thrones books because inmates might do something with all those maps. George R. R. Martin's A Song and Ice and Fire books are a little grim as far as pure escapism goes, but that hasn't stopped at least one Maryland prison from banning them on the ground that their contents qualify as potential tools for escape. Per recent article piece for the Marshall Project, courtesy of Maryland Correctional Institute for Women, resident Kimberly Hickrow... That doesn't sound like a Oh, so it's a women's prison? I think so, yeah. Martin's books have apparently been permanently banned from being owned by prisoners at the facility because they contain maps considered contraband regardless of whether they depict Jessup, Maryland, or King's Landing, Westeros. Okay. What, so it's like they could use a map of... The capital, the fictional capital city in King, of King's Landing, to plan an escape. Is that, I is think, that their concern? I, I think so. Yeah. Of course, this draconian approach to dragon-based literature isn't entirely surprising. Prisoners not being especially well known for their flexibility or common sense approach to the topic of rules. Still, Hickero lays out the true absurdity of the system at length. 
as exemplified by an unseen Miss Beatrice, apparently old woman who determines what is and, and what is and isn't contraband in prison's mailroom. Other banned items under Mrs. B's watch are pictures of alcohol, greetings cards, and even one memorable occasion, a seedling from an Arbor Day foundation. Trees. I right. Mean, this this is like less interesting than I thought it was going to be. I mean, like, if you're using a map to ch- from a book to try and get out of prison, but you also, probably belong there. But also, like, it's not, it doesn't it doesn't even sound like this is one of those things where it's like, oh, it's banned because someone tried. It just sounds like there's this really weird woman in charge of like censoring <laughs> and 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 you know deciding what the prisoners are and aren't allowed to. No, see. Like, I mean, well, yeah, the fact that pictures of alcohol, not alcohol. Pictures of alcohol are banned. Is it, I thought. Are they going to start like licking the, like an advert for a bottle <laughs> of JD or something? You know, get like a sort of psychosomatic high off it. I don't. I don't understand. I would have thought if you're going to ban the Game of Thrones books, you're banning them because they're big, thick, meaty books. That you know, if it was me, I'd do. I've seen it many, many movies. You'd hollow out part of the book. And hide a little mini pickaxe or, or you some could kind just, of thing in it. Or you could club your cellmate's head in with it. Yeah. Or I thought maybe they would ban them because, you know, like Daenerys Targaryen is 13 when she's married off and like, you know, has a load of, you know, statutory rape happen to her. <laughs> like that's maybe some, that would be like giving a copy of Lolita to somebody who's gone to prison. Not, you know, all this like dodgy sex going on. Maybe don't, you know, put the books in the hands of a group of sexually frustrated inmates that would make more sense. But no, it's the maps. <laughs> the maps. The maps must be stopped. Okay, whatever. Okay. Do you want the ACDC, ACDC animal story? Yes. Loud rock music like ACDC can hurt animals e- can hurt animals ecosystem, but Willie Nelson has no effect, study says. Um, this is written by... Uh, this is for Newsweek.com. Keith, written by Scotty Andrew. Two first names. Don't trust him already. <laughs> Almost 40 years have passed since ACDC declared rock and roll ain't noise pollution, but a biological researcher and lifelong fan of the band discovered that headbanging music does actually disrupt the environment. Man-made noise affects animal uh, affects how animals behave and interact with their ecosystem, according to a publish, paper published Tuesday in the journal Evolution and Ecology. Can I just stop you there? Because you went from a very defined statement of ACDC's music affects it to then starting with the sentence... Man-made music, or man-made noises, that covers a whole lot of stuff that's not just ACDC. So they're just saying basically any noise made by man is affecting the animal's environment, which I can see see is actually you know genuinely real. But it seems a bit harsh to kind of narrow it down to blame just ACDC. <laughs> Scotty Andrew is not a fan of their work. Yeah. Um... Wildlife experts uh, testimony called the ACDC hypothesis. Wildlife experts found music from ACDC, Guns N' Roses, and Leonard Skinner affected how insects attacked pests and hurt subsequent, subsequent plant growth, while other music genres had no effect when being played at the same volume. To test their theory, the team recruited a host of ladybugs. I love that. If the ladybugs wanted... They recruit... That's like we're putting together a team. <laughs> a crack team of ladybugs. I love this. This is the next Oceans movie. <laughs> Uh, and exam- so how did they recruit them? So <laughs> they just went it, down. Was it a thing they, on Facebook? They or? just went down to a hedge and held their hands out and waited. <laughs> uh, examined um, hosted a, uh, recruited a host of ladybugs and examined how the music affected the consumption of aphids, a pest that infests soybean plants. 
I don't understand what that means because that's beyond me. Have you ever been in a garden? I'm not very good at biology. I failed it. <laughs> Spent too many, too much time messing around in class. Um, in addition to rock, country, and folk, the research term light team lined up sounds of typical urban environments like a jackhammer and a car horn at 95 to 100 decibels, equivalent to the noise provo- I mean, produced by a lawnmower. Those noises like irk me. They vex me. So I can't imagine what they would do to like you know some nice little woodland creatures or a ladybird. Willie Nelson had no effect on the ladybug's pest predation, but when rock music reared, the Beatles ate half of the half the amount of aphids in their uh, as their counterparts over the same period. The soybean blend, soybean plants that faced the music were twenty five percent smaller than their silent counterparts. I don't even understand what any of that means. See, now all I'm seeing is that what they're saying. What they're saying in this statement is is that the ladybirds eat less when you play them ACDC or Guns N' Roses. Now all I'm seeing is the fact that when they're playing them, they're spending half their time rocking out <laughs> and headbanging. So all of these aphids, not eat, all these aphid um, predators aren't eating anything because they're just too busy rocking out. And like, it's good cardio and they're losing weight. So maybe that's a diet that you could try, Guy. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's, there's more, more, more nonsense. Uh, but I like this particular quote. Insects don't have ears, so they can't be hearing it like you and I. All sound is just vibration. But if you've been to a concert, you can feel that bass. I can feel that bass. All about that bass. <laughs> so that was on. Should we look at the coffee man one quickly? That's just a bloke who wants to sell more coffees without any competition. I mean, yeah, it's not a weird news story at all. It's entirely predictable. I mean, what, it is from the Bournemouth Echo, so I mean... Oh, well, let's find out what's going on in Bournemouth. I mean, what's great about this story, about the guy who is, um, who's annoyed, he kind of looks like the Belgium football team manager. Is it, okay, is it Roberto can, Carlos, I think? I, I can see that, yeah. Okay. I want to know who the writer of this is. Because if he's not a coffee-related fun, I'm just very disappointed. Jason Lewis. <laughs> They didn't even try. 58 people have taken the time to comment on this. Okay, a cafe owner in Christchurch has urged the council to avoid letting another coffee, coffee shop open the town centre. Mike Ishmael, director and owner of Baggy's Coffee House, Baggy's Coffee House, has launched a petition calling for the refusal of plans to open Coffee what, Coffee Number 1 at the former Shoe Zone store on the High Street. shop has been vacant for over a year. Ishmael claims that the town's already uh, inundated with too many food outlets. In a letter objecting to the plans which were submitted to Christberg's uh, council, ide- uh, Ishmael identified 28 food outlets. Brian, where did you find this one? Sure, let's have a look at the related stories. Why don't you read the comments? <laughs> I want to see what the comments are, whether people are just going... Because it would depend on what kind of coffee they were selling. Do you know what? So... He missed a trick with this one, though. Story here. Thousands were due to visit Quiet Road for a legal drum and bass rave. I mean, that clearly is a better headline. It's not weird, though, because that's kind of like, that's what raves are. Um, car ends up on its roof in Parkstone. These are not weird. These are just things these that are, happen. These are just headlines. Man believed to have fallen from car park after watching England game in Bournemouth. Yeah, These are just I mean... statements. These are just this, like, <laughs> bus stops at bus stop. <laughs> For, for a waiting passenger. Here's what the weather's going to be like this weekend in Bournemouth. <laughs> That's it. That's news for you. Weird news. It's been a couple of weeks um, since this was in uh, the news and everyone was talking about it online, but I just wanted to uh, kind of take the temperature on this subject because I just, I still find myself getting really annoyed about it. 
Um, so it's all about, I want to talk about toxic fans. And specifically, uh, you've probably heard there were these guys um, on the internet who were willing to pay to remake The Last Jedi because they thought that the entirety of Lucasfilm had got it wrong. Um, the rationale being that there were too many women in it. Um, so first of all, I'm like, is this a hoax? Um, but it just kind of brings up this weird problem that seems to happen in fandom, but in, specifically in a kind of, you know, certain generation and certain kind of demographic of fandom where um, men who grew up watching things like Star Wars, which is, you know, very much like anti-fascist, do the right thing, you know, like stand up for the little guy or Star Trek, which is all about this equal opportunities utopia where, you know, race and sex, race and gender and, and sexuality are all completely equal. They've, they kind of, they've grown up watching these things, but instead of internalizing these messages, they've just been like, oh yeah, like space battles are cool. And it's, it's just really weird. It's like, you know, if something has more than one woman in it, one, more than one woman in it, it's seen as like feminist propaganda. Hmm. Um, you know, when, uh, when Star Trek Discovery introduced a gay couple after 50 years on TV, it was seen as like, oh, like, why are you making things so political? Like, why are you putting this agenda into it? And it's like, you do realise that, you know, when they first put a black woman on Star Trek, people didn't like that either. And it's like, you don't even realise that like, you see yourself as the hero of these stories. You know, you identify with like the Kirks or the Han Solo's or whatever, but really you're more like the Empire. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on like, you know, what do we think that is? Is it a generational thing or like just what what is making these guys just completely miss the point of something there that they claim to love? It's interesting because you could say I'm technically of that generation because I grew up watching Star Trek when he was first out and Star Wars when he was first out. And I would certainly say that shows like Star Trek or other kind of fantasies it showed a more tolerant, equal, equal world influenced my worldview and helped me become the person I am today, which is why I cannot understand for the life of me what these people are even thinking about. Because, it's, like you said, it's completely missing the point of what these shows were trying to say, is that for humanity to grow and evolve and, and get to the point where we can explore the stars, we've got to be getting on with each other and being mm. accepting, because it's going to take a lot of effort. We're going to, to do all of this kind of really kind of groundbreaking stuff, we're going to need to collaborate with all kinds of different people. And... Lots of people have got different skills. So the idea of kind of remaking The Last Jedi for these petty, small-minded reasons is just unbelievable. And the fact I purposefully pretty much... I may have made a slight allude to what they were doing in a, in a thinly veiled tweet about it, but I wasn't even going to get involved in it and start corresponding with them because it just encourages them. And I just was, was shocked by how much traction it gained on both sides, people supporting it, wanting to give them money and saying they got ideas. Obviously, people that were opposed to it, who's, I'm, I'm going to be on their side, but, you know, what it's entertainment. And, and I always say entertainment owes you nothing. If you don't like it, that's fine. Go and find the next thing. It's not like there's any shortage of it. And uh, by all means, do not say that it's destroyed your childhood. Because oh, that is yeah. the most ridiculous statement I have ever heard. 
I mean, we've been hearing that phrase applied to everything ever since they decided to remake Ghostbusters. And I mean, the problem with the all-female Ghostbusters wasn't that it was all women, because it, they were great. It was just, it wasn't a good film. The script was terrible. The, the story was all over the place. But it was just the idea of women wearing those, you know, boiler suits. That was seen as beyond the pale. So, you know, why? I mean, I think for me, <clears throat> for me obviously, you know... <sighs> I think one of the most shocking things I've encountered being part of this show, I don't care if these people listen to this show or not, I don't care if I out you for this, um, we went to a convention, and we encountered two chaps dressed as Doctor Who's, Yeah. and we said to them, are you looking forward to the Christmas special 2017? And they said yes, but I'm not looking forward to what comes after. And so the fact we live in a day and age where people turn around and say something like that, Obviously, we know Jodie Whittaker's doctors come in. There's the fact that, like, I'm not looking forward to watching this show that I'm dressed in a costume of and quite clearly adore because a female has taken on the role. It's pathetic. It's it's, it's not needed. And it's like, it oh, was shocking. Did that you? Happened. Yeah. Did you love Doctor Who because it was about this, you know, incredibly smart white guy who's always being followed around by a pretty young woman who's super impressed with him? Like, grow up. It, it was. It was a shocking moment, and you know, like, what, what, why, why do people feel they have the right to say that? You know, if that's if that's the creative direction that people have decided to take their art in. Then that that's the way it should go. And you don't own it. No, it's like this is weird thing. It's like um, I can't remember who said it. I think it might have been Joss Whedon. He says like, don't give the fans what they want. Give them what they need. And sometimes that means you know, like. I mean, as well, as he's wont to do, killing off a character, if that's what the story needs. And people are going to be upset and outraged by it, but it drives the story forward. And I think after 50 years of Doctor Who, what's going to drive the story forward? Like a breath of fresh air, a new creative direction. So a new showrunner, a new Doctor, finally, you know, sort of a bit more equal, like, you know, gender representation. I mean, for me as a, as a Doctor Who fan as well, it's not even about the fact we're getting a female Doctor. I'm excited about that concept. That's really, that, that's going to change it up a bit. But it's just exciting the fact that like we're getting rid of a, a showrunner who was awful, and yeah. you know we're getting a whole brand new era of Doctor Who. It's going to be different. Everything's going to be changed. New companions. Everything about this new era of Doctor Who is different. You know the fact that Bradley Walsh is a companion and things like that. The every element of it is exciting. So it's kind of like to be like, oh well, it's because of that I don't like it anymore. Especially when the entire concept of Doctor Who is about time moves forward. We're always changing. He's been changing and changing. The, the entire show is about like regrowth and rebirth and all and regeneration and all that. So it's just like to be like, yeah, we want this character to regenerate, but we want him also to stay the same. It just makes no sense. But this is I mean the Star Wars thing. It's kind of like, well, obviously Star Wars has evolved and we've got new characters, but they've mixed it in with the old as well, so it's sort of familiar. But yeah, you're going to have different characters come into the forefront, and they will be of all different ages, sexes, races, you know. And that's that's fine. I don't understand why people need to get upset about that i think one of the issues that these fans had with the last jedi was that you've got oscar isaac who's you know i mean i i love him I he's, love a, him he's so a gorgeous much. man um but he's kind of in this in this movie because he was seen we saw him more in this movie than we did in the force awakens and he's sort of presented as a bit of a gung-ho han solo type and so i think it's maybe the audience is conditioned to root for him so that then when he gets told no by this new female boss played by laura dern it's kind of like oh, like, you know, she's shrill and she's coming in and spoiling our fun, even though he was wrong and she was right. But they kind of can't get that through their heads, even though, like, she ends up being the hero in the end. And it's just, yeah, it's like, they're so attached 
to their idea of what the story should be, that when you try and subvert that and tell a new kind of story, they reject it. I mean, I think, like, my opinions on the Laura Dern character, she didn't ruin the film for me because she was a woman. I just didn't enjoy her character. They, they, she was an, they, they, not they, a great yeah. character. And there were, there were flaws with how she was with how she was presented, but it, was, yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. the gender. And the, and the fact, like, oh my God, I saw a tweet, and it was like, how come, like, this woman with purple hair and wearing, like, a, a, a prom dress is leading... What was it? She's like the admiral of a of a fleet or something. It's like no, she wouldn't be the admiral of a, no the admiral of an army. That was what they said, and everyone replying was like, she's the admiral of a fleet because they're ships. Um, but it's just like, well, a it's set in space and there are aliens, so maybe this person has purple hair and you don't need to worry about it. Um, also, do you think there's any truth to the fact that like, you know, back maybe thirty years, thirty or forty years ago, things like what if you liked Star Wars or Star Trek or Doctor Who? you were seen as an outcast, you were the underdog, you were kind of, you know, like, maybe bullied, or made, people made fun of you for that. But since then, it's absolutely become mainstream. Doctor Who is the primetime BBC One Saturday Night family show. You know, you've got Star Trek Discovery, one of the most anticipated shows of last year. Star Wars is the biggest movie event of the year. These things aren't niche anymore. These belong to everyone they're parts of mainstream popular culture and so the people who maybe were sidelined a bit for you know liking this originally they're trying to now be gatekeepers of it and be like no this belongs to us not to you yeah maybe yeah i see that but i'd say if that was the case they were still they were they would have been problematic back then yeah if they take that attitude towards it all i mean what worries me most about all of this is that these people have probably got money They've got accessibility to these platforms to make their voices heard. And what worries me most is that people will listen. We've already had after this whole kind of uh, stuff about Last Jedi and how people didn't like Solo, that Lucasfilm are being more cautious about what they do going forwards and are potentially changing their plans. And I wouldn't like to see that happen. I want to see these creators that are coming in and doing their stuff keep doing it. And they make what they want to make. And either as an audience we do or we don't. But I don't think we should be dictating to people the fact we don't want to see this or we don't want to see that. It's like we, we see what we see and if we don't like it, that's fine. We don't go and see it. You're not owed anything. It's like, you know, I'm not, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this is, this is the Star Wars movie I want to watch or whatever it is. If it entertain me. And we're cool. I think as well, if you if you have that opinion towards it, I think that you then you have to force yourself into a consistent position of I now have to say this about anything that has a female front it. So like even if you do like Doctor Who and you said those comments, you now have to put on this front of like, Oh no, I don't want a female Doctor Who. Oh yeah. no, I don't like Wonder Woman. You can't ever turn around and go, Oh, I like that now. So you have to stick with that front. And I think you're backing yourself into a corner. And you're just sort of completely like excluding yourself from the evolving conversation that everyone else is having. And eventually you're going to like box yourself out of entertainment entirely. If all you want is these things to stay the same as they were 30 years ago. I do think though, let's remake The Last Jedi, but make sure Admiral Akbar doesn't die this time. Like, let's let's rectify that mistake. (laughs) Like, that's the one thing I want changed. Just when you watch it, just look away. I mean, that's the biggest mistake LucasArts has made, in my opinion. LucasArts? Lucasfilm? Lucasfilm. He was an old, he was an old Mon Calamari. He was getting on, so, you know, at least he didn't end up kind of, you know, 
Do you know what? That, that, that'll be happen, won't it? They'll be like, oh, let's make an Admiral Atbar film. No, I don't want to see this because I don't like any fish in any films. Is he a fish? <laughs> he is a fish, isn't he? He's effectively a fish. He's a, he's a, squid, he's a squid in a tunic. Effectively a fish. Yeah, I just, want, I just can't wait for it when they bring Glendale Coridium back for two minutes and then kill him off. That's going to set the... Uh, don't, don't. <laughs> Carrying on our conversation about things that you know some fans do like and some fans don't, um, I'd like to talk about LGBT representation in all things geek, or lack thereof. Um, you mentioned in the segment uh, just previous, Keith, that... Um, fan pushback against certain things is making studios cautious about how diverse and how inclusive they want to be for fear of, um, you know, really irking the, the sort of quote-unquote loyal or long-term fans. Um, and, and we mentioned very, very briefly, um, Star Trek Discovery included a, a gay character um, in, in their first season. Um, and there was sort of backlash on both sides of that. So you had the toxic crybabies that we were just discussing saying you know why are you forcing this lgbt agenda into star trek but then on the other side you had lgbt viewers who were like finally we have some kind of visibility in this you know utopian future we're finally seeing people like us and within a couple of episodes one of them gets killed which is this trope that is absolutely everywhere in uh film and tv you know to bury your gaze um, so you introduce a gay character and then they're the first one to get bumped off. So it's like you have the the uh, sort of um, you get the acclaim of being brave enough to include a, a gay character. But then, you know, you don't actually have the balls to keep them around. Um, so there was sort of, yeah, it faced like backlash on on both sides of that. Um, but there is like I, I just want to talk about two other shows where I feel like they got the representation absolutely right and did it in a way that felt really, really natural and was such a innate part of the show that, like, really, it just there was no way that you could disagree with it or, or, or have a problem with it. Um, so the two fairly recent genre shows, the first is Orphan Black, which is, um, I mean, if you want to talk about things with an all-female cast, that was phenomenal. You've got Tatiana Maslany playing five or six different characters. Uh, you've got a gay character, you've got um, a lesbian, you've got, I think, what one or two bisexuals sort of dotted around... Um, and it's just sort of effortlessly diverse and inclusive in a way that really, like, makes sense for the characters. It drives the story forward. Um, and then you've got Sensate, which is very, very similar. It's got this kind of, you know, very, very diverse group of people from all different walks of life, different gender identities, different races, different sexualities. And I think that the reason that those two shows got such passionate fan bases is because it was presenting trans characters and gay characters in ways that really we don't get very often because they were seen as fully-fledged characters, not just here's a one-off that we're going to introduce and then bump off or here's like a sassy gay sidekick, you know. You know, you, you might argue that, like, um, it's only queer people watching these shows. I don't know. Um, but to move over to film, I want to talk about something like Marvel, who have yet to introduce a canonically gay character but have written two out of two of their most popular recent films. So you've got Thor Ragnarok, character of Valkyrie, in the comics is, I think, bisexual or pansexual. There's a deleted scene, apparently, in Thor Ragnarok that does confirm that her friend who died um, was her girlfriend. But if I have to watch a delete, if it's, if it's in a deleted scene, if it's not in the main movie, it doesn't count. Yeah, fair. Um, and then in Black Panther, the character of Okoye, played by Denai Guerrero, 
Um, in the comics, she's a lesbian. In the film, she's married to Daniel Kaluuya. They married in the film? Yeah, or, or, in, or they're in a relationship. Right, okay. Um, they are beloveds, basically. Okay. Um, and so it's there was... I feel like with Black Panther, that movie is so inclusive in other ways that I can almost forgive it for not going the, whole, the full hog with the Koye. Just the fact that there were so many amazing black women centred in that movie... I can't be too mad at it. I don't think they focused on that as a plot plot it was, element. To, I, I, to... I feel like there was a decision made that, like, you know what, you know what, like we, we've got enough in this movie that would be like overkill almost. Yeah. Um, but at some point, like at what point does it stop being overkill? At what point do they actually address that? And I want to know, like, is it really a financial decision to keep LGBT characters out of these films, you know, to appease international audiences in like China or Russia, or is that just an excuse? That's an interesting question. That is a, that a is long really and question. interesting question. I mean, in terms of the uh, Orphan Black and Sensei, it's not just watched by a gay audience, because I watch both those shows. And it's interesting that the Wachowskis are the creators of Sensei. Mm. So they've, they have a history of um, experience in that field. But And I think what, you've, what, you, what you're talking about is characters um and i think discovery didn't do them any self did themselves any favors by killing off one of those characters but i i liked the fact that it was just it was just presented as here's two characters the scene where they're brushing their teeth at the yeah, end of the day it was just, yeah. it, and it could have been any other scene yeah the fact that it was two guys it made, for, for me the, these things i i the character i don't i don't mind seeing people of color i don't mind seeing uh, people of different um, sexual orientations or ethnicities, it's their characters that are interesting to me. The, the other things aren't, unless they're part of the story or driving the story, that that would make it different. But I'd be watching it then because I'm interested in the story that they're trying to tell. But mm-hmm. some, in, in something like Star Trek Discovery, those two particular characters, it wasn't driving the story. They were just a married couple on, on a spaceship. And that was their relationship. And it would have been the same if it would have been any others? I mean, they allude to it a little bit in Star Trek Beyond with Sulu, uh, which with is very the, briefly kind of uh, the, the out, not really two seconds back yeah. hat, yeah. But something like Orphan Black—that's it's just all part of the story. Yeah, it's, it's not you know it's it's great and Sensei again it's all just part of the story. It's it's the, it, it's what make these characters who they are and why they're interesting. Um, but I think what you're saying about the Marvel stuff—that's quite that's quite interesting in terms of pandering to the global market and I think that must have something to do with it because if you're uh, you know companies will put things in to appeal to foreign markets and you know it could be that they're holding out on societies that aren't quite as uh, open in terms of society you know how society is is now and the fact that people are allowed to, to express everything they want and it's not um, you know, illegal or, you know, people get bent out of shape about it. And I, it, it could be that that is possibly part of the reason why. that Because it's, it's a commodity that we have to sell to, to things. It becomes a monetary um, response rather than a storytelling response. Mm. Okay, I have an interesting question for you. Go on. So... You're saying like Sense8 and Orphan Black that the, the homosexuality element is just a natural part of the show. It doesn't see, seem shoehorned in. Yeah. But Ryan Murphy 
sometimes almost seems like he is shoehorning in something. Um, you, say, say with American Horror Story. Oh, well, I mean, he, everything in American Horror Story is shoehorned in because I feel like in half of those shows, they don't know what kind of story they're trying to tell. Yeah. So it's like, oh, here's like a, a, a demon nun and a mutant and, a, and, a, and a, an alien all in the same episode. <laughs> so like, he's on Pose, yeah. which is obviously tailored for, for the audience and he knows, and, and, he knows and, the direction he's going And in. that is the story that they are telling, yeah. But then you've got something else that he's done where he's just tried to... Like, maybe it's not seemed as like... It's not part of the... I the think... I, I don't think... know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, sometimes, I think he sometimes try, he tries to represent homosexual media, but he yeah. doesn't necessarily get it right. I, I, oh, yeah, I mean, and, and subtlety is not his, his thing at all. Like, I mean, the whole the whole appeal of his shows is there's, like, nothing really subtle about them. It's very mm. much just, like, in your face. Yeah. Um, to varying degrees of success, yeah. Cause, so I would say, like, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace told a really interesting story yeah. about gay characters in the 90s. Yeah, I think he hit because, the mark, yeah. Oh, and, and that was a true story, and Gianni's, Versace's sexuality and the sexuality of his killer were very much part of that story. Um, I think when it comes to things like, I don't know, Glee, for instance, yeah. um, they were all very much like, ev- and, and it wasn't whether it was about the gay character or about a black character, it was always very much like an after-school special, and it was mm-hmm. very, very preachy. Um, and then I think with American Horror Story, um, yeah, like there's there's sort of some some of the stories he's tell told, especially about like um, casting roles for older actresses and, and and you know characters for older women are really interesting. I think some of the the um, LGBT stuff is you know not as nuanced as it could be, but mm-hmm. I think that um, he works best when he's paired up with writers who know better. So Pose is co-written with Janet Mock, who is a trans storyteller, and she's phenomenal. And I would say probably more of the reason why Pose is so good, because he's just sort of like, let's throw everything into this and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I can understand why sometimes like that diversity feels forced, because it doesn't... It's sort of like, attention's drawn to it when it's not part of the story necessarily. Yeah. But then... I would say there's other times when he does it where it's absolutely part of the story and that's when it works. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think he's the name that comes to mind just because he has, you know, I think me, well-meaningly tried to be as diverse and representative as possible. It's just sort of with, you know, his hit rate isn't, isn't all that, Yeah, but, but it's getting better. I think the last few shows he's done have been much, much better. I've lost track of how many shows he's done. Well, I mean, I think between him and Shonda Rhimes, they make 90% of all TV. <laughs> and, and, and Shonda Rhimes is another great one who um, is diverse and inclusive in casting in terms of gender, race, and sexuality. She just sort of... It's very much a reflection of real life, her shows. Do you think anybody does better at representation in terms of TV with, with America or Britain? in terms of the kind of shows that we get. Because I tend to find that American shows tend to be, it's all or nothing. And mm. it's not, it's, it's either completely for one audience, or it's not. Or it's it's so lightweight that it's not really, it doesn't really have any impact. Um, you know, because I'm trying to think of, of things in the UK. I think some of the stuff in the UK, I mean, Russell T. Davies, before he was doing Doctor Who, and even mm, Doctor yeah. Who, there's, there's, there's some interesting stuff going on there. Oh, I mean, there was but, fan talk in Doctor Who of Russell T. Davis's gay agenda. Yeah. Because Captain Jack happened, and every now and then there'd be a reference to a one-off character being not entirely straight or something. Well, I, you had, uh, see, Toby... 
Oh, Russell Tovey. Yeah, Russell Tovey. Uh, yeah, kind of later on. Meet her. And, and then you, Pearl, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do, but do you think that anybody's getting it doing well at representation, or is everybody still got a long way to go in terms of of of, um, of kind of getting getting over that plateau of, of kind of like it being the thing? So people talking about it because it's there rather than talking about the stories that have been told. I think we're still on it being the thing. I think it's still very much like, oh, like, so for instance, you know, it's like Star Trek Discovery came out last year, um, a show that's been going on and off for 50, nearly 60 years. And it was the first time they were doing this. Um, and we're still at that, you know, with, I, I know I keep banging on about it, but with Pose, this is the first time that trans writers and trans actors are telling trans stories on a major network with, you know, a big budget behind them. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, I mean, very, very sadly, it's still the same with race in TV. You know, apart, if you take Shonda Rhimes out of television, there aren't many TV shows that are, are fronted by a black person or a woman, let alone a black woman. Um, and so it's still, we're at the point, yeah, where it's like, oh, this is the first time that someone's winning an Emmy for this or the first time, you know, that this kind of story is being told. And so the thing of it, whether it's the race or the gender or the sexuality of it, is still very much like part of the conversation um, as opposed to the story. And I think just it's a case of, well, the more kinds of stories like this that we tell, the less of a, a aberration or the less of a sort of, novelty it's going to be and we're just going to start talking about the stories and there's not going to be that burden to represent all people in one story and you can tell different kinds of nuanced stories because there's going to be a greater wealth of, of stories to tell carrying on uh, this week's theme of diversity we're going to talk about my, one of my favorite female-led uh shows that's out at the moment and that is glow i'm going to the toilet i don't want spoilers <laughs> So, um, season two of Glow has been out on Netflix for a little while now. Um, I'm all caught up. I believe, Keith, you've still only seen season one, is I, that well, right? I watched season one when it came out. Right? Okay. Because, because there's so much stuff to watch. I've got Netflix. It's on my queue, ready to watch. But it's kind of, I want to spend the time watching it and taking yeah. it in and stuff. Because I really, I really, really enjoyed the first season. And I kind of want to, want to take the time to sit and watch it properly. So I'll, I'll get I'll get to it over the next few weeks, but I haven't, I haven't seen season two yet. I think you've got the right way of doing it because season one, I watched in an afternoon because the episodes are what, like 25 minutes long? They're, yeah, they're not super long. Um, so it's it's really easy for it just to fly by. So yeah, season one, I just sort of pleasantly binged it um, in an afternoon into an evening on a Saturday um, when I had nothing on and it was it was brilliant. Um, and then I, I, I made the same mistake with this season because I got so into I, I watched the first couple of episodes just one an evening and then I got so into it that I, I just sort of binged through the entire thing and then I was like oh damn and now it's over and I have to wait another year um so yeah we'll have a sort of nice spoiler fr- spoiler free-ish chat about about season two um and just about the show in general because there's so many things to love about it give me some give me some hints as to what there's to look forward to in this season um okay so obviously you've got this fantastic ensemble cast um, and a lot of season one was all about Mark Maron, Alison Brie and Betty Gilpin's characters. So you've got, you know, the sort of two best friends slash rivals. And then you've got the director of this entire wrestling program. Um, so season two is great because it sort of delves into the lives of all the other women on the team a bit more. Um, good, good. It's it's not 
exactly like oh that each episode is a different person's story but it is sort of yeah you sort of dip in and out of their lives not to the point where it's like an entire episode about one of them um it's very much this ongoing story about the fate of the show but yeah you get you get a lot more um fleshed out characters um with people like welfare queen and beirut and there's a new character called yolanda uh who's brought in um so uh, who's sort of quite spicy um, so yes, yeah, so you get a lot of great sort of, um, backstories and character details on, on, on those women. Um, and one of the things I loved about the first season was the eighties setting. So the hair and just like the bonkers costumes. And obviously there's more of that. Um, but without, again, without being too spoilery, there's a few moments in season two that sort of maybe go into like why the eighties wasn't all great. Well, that has got winning me over because that, having lived through it, <laughs> yeah. I always find it bizarre that people look at it as this kind of like shining beacon of amazingness, and you go, oh, "Not really." It was kind of it was a bit like the seventies with a bit of like extra glitz in it, but it wasn't that great. Yeah, it was like, it was like the seventies, but like more people were on coke. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it was one of those things that I like. I loved about it. It was that kind of slightly gritty, grimy. Um, aesthetic to it and you, you get a little bit of that in something like Stranger Things as well I think they're yeah. quite good bedfellows in terms of kind of get, capturing in, that period in, in a way in that the, really relates to my view of the world at that time yeah like I, I, um, the sort of the family like suburbs of, of Stranger Things where you know all the parents are sort of like a little bit useless and just sort of smoking all the time and it's not very glamorous and then on Glow all of these women are kind of you know out of work down on their luck actresses who want Glitzy lives, but just don't really have them because they're all living in a shoddy motel. Yeah, terribly shoddy gymnasium. The Glotel, as they call it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's a few um, sort of subplots about um, yeah how you know sort of a uh, uh, sexist culture in the 80s uh, and, and so on, which is I think very timely. It, it's it, it's sort of it's very much you could tell it was written after or amid the whole Me Too movement but because it's set in the 80s it feels entirely organic and you know this was that time period when awful things like that were happening all the time so it's just like it's a really it's hard to watch almost because like because we've read so many stories you can see it coming but it's still yeah it's an important moment i think um it's also just full of all these incredibly satisfying sports movie tropes you know they're underdogs and and it's just like I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not even a sports movie fan, but it's just sort of like it follows enough of a formula without being predictable or unoriginal that it's really, really satisfying. And it kind of hits those sweet spots for me. Um, just, you know, anything where it's like a team coming together and, you know, I, I love all that. And, and the, 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 the dy- complicated dynamics between all the women on the team is great. I think um, it was an interview in Entertainment Weekly when season two came out and Betty Gilpin, who plays Liberty Bell, uh, says that being on set is like being constantly surrounded by a Greek chorus of drunk feminist muppets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great description. And that is exactly what the, uh, the 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 whole gorgeous ladies of wrestling team is like. Because you've got you know really outlandish characters like Sheila, and you know, you've got um, Kate Nash as Britannica. You've got um, Melrose, the sort of faded party girl, and it's just they are all every every one of them gets this fantastic moment to shine this season. It's brilliantly cast as well, though, because all of those actresses do a fantastic job. It's like even with just like one line, the yeah. delivery and the body language and the and just like the the face work that goes on, it's absolutely 
incredible. It's, yeah. it's a really well put together show. I mean, I was I was surprised because I had some knowledge of Glow as it was in the kind of eighties, which was kind of a, a weird thing in itself. But the way they put the show together, it was you know it, was, it really felt like it was put together with love and passion and a desire to create something really interesting. Um, does this season build in the same kind of way as the as the first season? That you kind of get that kind of move to the kind of crescendo at the end in terms of the. Oh yeah, there's definitely a build up. Um, so I think Glow season one was all about. Um, building up, putting the team together and filming a pilot. Um, season two is all about them filming their first season and it going out and how they start to get fans and they start uh, to get viewers. And it's, yeah. Um, and then finally, um, just, I mean, this is one thing about the eighties that was fantastic is, uh, it's just got this brilliant eighties soundtrack and <laughs> we're going to leave it there. Oh, I can't wait to find out what song <laughs> they use this time around. Yeah. I, I will. I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to kind of, Spread it out, if not by week by week, a couple of days at least between episodes, just so I can prolong um, that. that enjoyment. Yeah, because it's yeah. one of those shows that you just go, oh, I don't want it to end. And you kind of, um, I'm, when, I'm, when it I'm, finishes, you go, oh no. I'm very tempted just to go back and rewatch season one now. I think that's something that this show would have is that it would be rewatchable. Absolutely, I think I so. Think, yeah. I think it, the, the performances and, and, the, and, the, and the way it's constructed would, would work. On a second rewatch, or a third rewatch, or a fourth rewatch. I, I just hope it. that it goes and goes and goes. I want. I, I don't know if it's been renewed for a third season yet, but I just I really want one. I want three, four, five, six seasons because there's enough characters in there that there's enough story in there. Yeah, I hope it does go for a while, but not you know, not not ridiculous. Not to outstay its welcome because the original yeah. show only ran for three or four seasons. Yeah, it didn't, so, it did, yeah. yeah it didn't but yeah, it's a good show. So if you haven't watched Glow already, yeah, watch it. Netflix. It's on Netflix now. And we have come to the end of another fantastic podcast. If I do say so myself, ask the guest host. I of think course you were going to say that. I think I smashed it. This is like South reviewing. So Ryan Parrish will be back uh, for business as usual next week. Do you know what's happening? Do you know what's happening? Callan's like, oh, when am I getting my show? <laughs> when you grow a bit older. So, I mean, you can keep up with all the squabbling and intrigue at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Geeky Brummy. Mr. Bloomfield, where can we find you on the social media? On the social... Oh, that's a good... I like that, social media. Um, it's a hard look underscore hotel on Twitter without the underscore, pretty much everywhere else. Um, yeah, so go, say hi. I'm usually just hanging around. Not being as, as awesome as Mr. Ellis with his wonderful stories and celebrity tales. Oh, you stop it! Fashion tips and all the rest of it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Halford, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at vinylguyh, and I'm tempted now to start a new Instagram, Skipping Guy H. <gasps> oh my god! I mean, I'm, I'm here for this skipping content. I'm here for it. I want some videos of you falling over your own feet. That's bound to happen. Right? <laughs> You know that video, like, it turned out to be fake, but the video of the girl doing like a handstand twerking and then she falls over and knocks over a candle and sets herself on fire? <laughs> I imagine I mean, that, sounds that, amazing. You, that being you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis uh, and on Instagram at Philip Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. 
you can find Ryan Parrish trying to escape out of a women's prison using the Game of Thrones map. <laughs> uh, no, he is on Twitter. Is it at Brummy Gormond? And at Parrish.Ryan. Is he? Ooh. Maybe he's not following me. Um, and then you can. I'm not blocked. Like, yeah, we have like a whole group chat without you. Actually, <laughs> um, so, yeah, and at, uh, the Infinite as well. Oh, yeah. So you can like find him well. at Danes Radio. That's D A Y N E S R A D I O. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Blunt to the point, let's not talk about him anymore. Thank you, as ever, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, Phil. Bye, Phil. Bye, Keith. Bye, Guy. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you'd like to join our listener supporters, please join us at patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio.